Please be seated. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel, chapter 1. Yes, this is not a misprint. We are actually looking at the Advent season through Daniel's eyes. Uh, and I also want to encourage you, those of you that are not familiar with the fourth point supplement, uh, it is a page that's on the back table or in the uh, hallway there. It's a way of encouraging you to take notes. And there also are some application, we call them follow-up questions at the bottom. Usually these are looked at in the community groups, but it's also something you can do at your dining room table or even on the car ride home to think about what does the Word of God have to say. Now, I'm Pastor Robert Decker, but it matters not what I have to say. It's about the Word of God. And when you look at our Word Cloud, I always remind everyone that you are in a Bible-believing church that we take the Word of God seriously. It's not just that the Bible that I'm carrying is R-E-D, read. Uh, we want it to be R-E-A-D. We want you to read it. How exciting it was for me to even hear today that one of our newer members has read through the whole Bible for the first time, just completed it this week. How, what a joy that is. Uh, now the next phase is to dive in and to see what it all means and how it all fits together. It's so exciting to hunger and thirst for the Word of God. In the Word of God, you're going to find that the gospel is center. The word gospel means good news, and it always starts with the bad news. And once you understand that the bad news is that we need a Savior, the good news is a Savior has been provided, every Sunday is an opportunity for us to communicate the gospel. That's our mission. Our mission and our theme that you hear in the video at the beginning of the service is in front of you. The, the mission of New Covenant Church is to communicate the gospel by word and by deed and with passion to ourselves, which happens on Sundays, to our neighbors, which is the ones we encounter, and also to the world through our missionaries, that the wonders of God's grace in Christ might be known. It is a privilege to be able to communicate the gospel, to not only proclaim it, but for people to hear it and receive it and to take it to heart, and then to pass it on to others, which is what our imagery is of our candlelight Christmas service, is that when we take the light from the red candle, which is from Christ, and we pass it on, and we pass it on, and we pass it on. It is our privilege now to open the Word of God. If you'll open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 1, let us reverently attend now to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible Word as it was given in the originals. This is from Daniel chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 17. Uh, this is God's word. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And that's the, the key verse today is verse 8. Let me just drive that point home one more time so you can see that this is all about Daniel. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. You're going to be asking a lot of questions about that. Why would he do this? How did he do it? And, and there's going to be some neat applications for us. But let's look at the word of God. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel... I fear, my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, 
Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and, our, and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to, see, to what you see. Verse 14, so he listened to them. He listened to Daniel's proposal. He listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they, that is the four brothers or the four friends, were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Verse 16, so the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will set apart these words, that you will help us to understand how they point to Christ. Lord, I also pray that you might show us how it should affect our lives, even in 2022, as this year comes to a close. We pray for your will to be done, and especially we pray for the Spirit to take this word and apply it to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The story that you have in front of you in Daniel chapter 1 is a story of a, of a young man, a boy, who was going away to a boarding school or something like modern day, we would call it a secular university. This has elements, uh, simple elements that are common to some of our lives. When I first read it, it reminded me of how my dad was a survivor of World War II. At the age of 13, 14, and 15, uh, he was sent off from the city of Amsterdam, from Bussum area, out into the, the places where you wouldn't expect the bombs to be falling from the, from the airplanes as the Germans were taking control of things. And he ended up going off to the school, to the Klokenberg. I don't even pronounce it with the right sound. Klokenberg. Dad never told me much about that school. He never liked it much. He was away from everybody he knew, and he wasn't sure you had anything to come back to. When we look at Daniel's story, he was taken away from everything he was comfortable with and taken to a foreign land as a captive, but he was being treated as a, uh, not a combative person, but as somebody who was going to be indoctrinated into the new system. To help the story, I want to read for you, verse, uh, beginning in Daniel chapter 1, I want to read for you some of the story, and then I see a parallel with it from Luke chapter 2, and I'll repeat it for you as a way of becoming familiar with what's going on in Daniel chapter 1. So let's look at how Daniel's life sets the stage for us. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learn, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 
And the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them their names. And he called Daniel Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. And then the next verse is our text. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, giving you a little bit of context of the story, I couldn't help but as I was reading it, these, the storyline came through just like in Luke chapter 2. And if you'll indulge me, this will help you to understand. On the exile, that picture would come up, I could show you. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Nebuchadnezzar. If you could bring up that picture there went out a decree from Nebuchadnezzar that the inhabitants of Judah should be punished for their deception and their military alliances with Egypt. And this retribution was first made when Jehoiachin was governing the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin from his throne in Jerusalem. And a portion of Nebuchadnezzar's great army was deployed to besiege that city. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. And some of the vessels of the house of God were taken to the foreign gods' houses. And Daniel also was taken up from Judah, out from near the city of David, into the regions of Babylon, known as the land of Shinar, to the place of the Chaldeans, because he was of one of Judah's princes, being linked to the nobility of the royal line of Judah, to be relocated with his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all being compelled into the new king's service. And so it was that the, while they were there, the days of preparation were being accomplished to prepare them for leadership within this great golden empire. And Daniel brought forth a proposal for purity. And he presented it carefully to the one in charge of the relocated exchange students. It was not about his clothing or what he might be wrapped in, but rather about what he would be consuming. The issue being confronted was that of being defiled. The captives were being conformed into a type of global citizenship with expectations of full participation in the designed education and curriculum and the consumption of the provisions that were given to these elite progeny and the removal of any past toxic relationships in their previous lives and religions. And there were in the same country Many other exiles from around the world, embracing these new global ways, keeping watch over themselves so as to not get out of line. And lo, the Lord brought conviction upon Daniel, and the grace of the Lord shone within him. And as the proposal was being expressed, and the king's guard appeared to be somewhat afraid, but after only 10 days, the verdict was delivered. And Daniel and his friends were brought forth into the light, being found to be more healthy and more able than the others. And Daniel began to understand that he was not to fear. He was given the opportunity to bring good tidings of great joy to not only his small band of brothers, which as we'll, and, and as we'll see later, which resulted also in the blessing of many more. His tidings were not given all at once, but were spread out over his long lifetime. For unto God's people one day, 
a Messiah will be anointed. He would be known as the one made without human hands. His coming into the world would be in the future, after the rise and fall of many great earthly kingdoms, including the one that had just besieged Jerusalem. But this Messiah's kingdom would be lasting, having a scope which would never be usurped. His kingdom will endure while the others would become forgotten, disappearing from the stage of history as does the chaff from the threshing floor blown away with the wind. If you see the, the poetry in this as the narrative is unfolded, there's quite the, the story. Within this introductory account, we find Daniel in a dilemma. We find a situation that God has orchestrated that is a stepping stone for him into the higher echelons. He is moving from obscurity into the palace main floor. But it also is teaching him some things by experience that he should have a life without compromise, one in which his character is life and not just an adjective about living. Today, there are three main points I want to highlight for you to be able to remember and to be able to, to digest and mull over in your fourth point. We're going to look at the recipe for defilement as imposed by his imperial forces, by the secular people. Secondly, we're going to look at the rejection of the defilement by this insignificant little young guy. And third, we're going to look at, uh, at which is something pretty amazing, is God's approved righteous defilement. And that is going to require some explanation. So if you're following along with me, the first part is about the recipe for defilement. In other words, Daniel had purposed in his heart, verse 8, that he would not be defiled, that he wouldn't defile himself. So what is the recipe of defilement? You know, is there something that explains what in the world is he talking about? Well, I want to go ahead and explain it to you a little bit more, unpack it for us uh, from the text. You're going to see that there is one part of this is relocation. That Daniel is actually being moved from where he's been, what he's used to, and put into a new place. Another part of this defilement is re-education. There is a new curriculum, and it has a, a mindset of a global regime, a new world order, of which Nebuchadnezzar was going to be the great leader of the world. And it included a new language. And so you have this new culture being taught. Third is one part, reconditioning. That when you're in this new place with this new education, you end up finding that there's a new diet and there's a new way of looking. You're supposed to conform to the way that's expected. On top of that, there is a one part relabeling. And this one seemed to hurt the most because I think most of us have fallen into the trap. They were exchanging the old ways for the new. They really wanted to cut off the past. And how do I know this? What were the name of Daniel's three friends? We almost all use their new names. Or, or as VeggieTales says, Rack Shack and Benny. We barely know how to pronounce Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael because we've already adopted the Chaldean names. We've already, in a sense, erased their Jewish and Hebrew background. These parts are all mixed together for three years, gently stirred and warmed, so as to create a new worldview which was fully acceptable in this new world order. 
This indoctrination was by force and with the threat of death, and it was with cunning as it was the path to success. It was presented to these young men as a, a path of comfort. It was a ticket to financial stability. It was a means to achieve a myriad of social likes, that is, if they had social media back then, as well as a contract that would secure for them the perks of high living, fine dining, and employment security. Sounds pretty good. How many of you want to go to Babylon? The price of this package was pretty expensive. I mean, look at just the food. Even if you took into consider inflation like today, imagine what kind of food the king eats, and that's what he's giving to these special people. Anything that the king was going to be worthy of, he was multiplying that to his special disciples. The price of this package for Nebuchadnezzar was worth it all. He was seeking to surround himself with talent, with wisdom, and with insight and perspective that he thought he could get from them if they bought into the same worldview. But the price of this package for the captives was total abandonment of their heritage, total cut off from their family, and an adaptation to a new truth. It was postmodern already. Nebuchadnezzar is the truth. In fact, I could quote it like this. For anybody in Babylon, he was the way, the truth, and the life. As a young man, this contract was signed by nearly all of the contracts. I mean, the contract was signed by nearly all of the captives. If you think of Daniel and all of the buddies, we don't know how many were going through this University of Babylon. But there was a good number. They were pressured to sign on, to cut off the past, to let go of everything that was and buy into what is ahead. It almost sounds like Philippians 3.13. Uh, he says, forgetting what's behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Oh, excuse me. Not in Christ Jesus, but in Nebuchadnezzar. You can just see the, the cost that was going to be done. It was negotiated by power. There was no union representatives to help little Daniel. It was dictated without any consultation. And here he is in it. But Daniel refused. See, the recipe for this defilement was real. And it was taking place. But in verse 8, we find that Daniel resolved that he would not cave into it. This is the second point, the rejection of this defilement. A godly resolve. Daniel in verse 8a and c, you can find out that he could not go along with it. It was no way that he could sign his name or if you want to say, you know, cut his wrist and put it on there as a blood covenant. No way. You know why? He feared God. And I want to go through here. There was no... This, this no that came from him is pretty powerful. And it is a spiritual gift because many people don't know how to say no. I want to say yes all the time too. Don't you? We just want to go along. We want to get along. We want to be able to be a part of things. We don't want to have to say no. 
Daniel is a God-fearing soul. We know this very well when you read the whole book of Daniel. You know that his faith was real. It was demonstrated throughout the rest of his captive life. Especially if you look at chapter 6. Daniel was known by all of his companions, all the other people that graduated from the University of Babylon, as being the goody-two-shoes guy. Remember, they were all sick and tired that Daniel seemed to do everything right. He was a good fellow. And they said, if you go to chapter 6, you know... Daniel is, how can we get him? And they said, well, the only thing that you'll ever get him on is being faithful to his religion. And they all knew that he prayed three times a day. They knew that he would open up his windows and pray and pray towards Jerusalem. They didn't know what he was praying, but they knew that he was faithful to the God of Israel. And that's how they snagged him. They got a new law put in the books that the Supreme Court didn't overturn. And you know what? They said that if you pray to anybody else, you are going to be eliminated. Not canceled, as we would hear today, but you're going to be wiped out. And that's why Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Not because he was disrespectful, but because he prayed. And he continued his relationship with God. He would not be defiled. He would never enter into a godless reality. And so when you look here, the rejection was done with grace. And I'll quickly highlight it for you. This, this, uh, this offering a proposal, uh, I want you to know who got the proposal. The recipients were Ashkenaz and even Nebuchadnezzar himself. That kind of blows me away. That this little insignificant guy has a proposal that gets in front of the eyes of the emperor. The terms of his proposal were very simpler. Simple, because he really didn't have much leverage. Uh, he says, it, the rejection of the defilement seems to be linked to the provisions. And so the, the terms of it was, please don't make me eat that food. You know, I might have done it the other way around since I'm not super big on vegetables. You know, I would like to eat meat all the time. I think they have a diet like that. Is it called the Atkins diet or something? Just eat meat, 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 meat. Um, but no, the other thing here is, is that he's not going to be defiled, and he links it, his stand, to what he's going to be consuming. He's taking a stand on one thing, and yet it's a rejection of the whole package deal. Daniel is saying, I'm not going to be a global citizen. And the way he says it is, I'm not going to eat that if I can help it. The scrutiny. Daniel... We, we wonder whether he did, did this on his own. See, when we have to take a stand for something, do you get special revelation from God to take the stand? Those of you that are trying to boycott people that are, that are pushing evil agendas, did you get that from a special Bible verse? Or are you coming up that with your own understanding? Not that I'm condemning it, because Daniel took a stand, and we are not told that he got this word from God. In fact, we just simply find that he was a believer in God, and he just said, I can't buy into this world system. I can't. And the only thing he seemed to do was to be able to watch what went into his mouth. He gives him the scrutiny of saying, look, 10 days, a week and a half, just 10 days. He doesn't have any leverage, but somehow or other... The Bible seems to say that he found grace in the eyes of Ashpenaz. Somehow or other, the guy who was in charge said, well, 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 you could see him squirming, well, <laughs> okay, but I have to get the big guy's approval. And so 
Bring it on. Daniel included a few of his friends in the deal. So the result was that 10 days were going to take place. And at the end of 10 days, they had a, a result. They had a verdict was in. They didn't have to go and see if it was a biopsy and they had to see if it had cancer cells. No, all the only thing they had to do was stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know about you, but would that be easy? The guy who just conquered the world. We know about him being the great head of the beast from chapter 2. I mean, the great image, he was the head of gold. We know that his kingdom was pretty magnificent. And Daniel, this little dude that's probably 15 or 16 years old, is now being called before the king to be looked at and to be examined and to be scrutinized by a secular person whom he's defying. Ten days passed. And interesting, the number 10 appears again. Nebuchadnezzar, with his earthly eyes, looks at this boy and says, Whoa! I think he might have said it ten times. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ten times better than the other people that were eating all the stuff that was a part of the system. The fallout of this proposal was that Daniel is no longer hiding in his shell. Daniel is no longer invisible. Daniel is no longer a nobody. He is in the spotlight. He is in the crosshairs of every other of the young guys. Because Daniel gets this favor. Now that he's stood out and he's actually almost been judged and you could almost feel the threat of death upon his life. you know. And then lo and behold, he comes out doing really well and it's like he struck a great deal and now he's being promoted and even his buddies get to be promoted. If you look at the end of chapter one, it's pretty neat. Daniel is noticed, but something else is noticed. Daniel's fidelity to God is also noticed. He's not going to be a yes man. He's not just going to fall in line with the world's system. Daniel has moved away from being conformed to this world to being a non-conforming life. It's almost like he had read Paul's words in Romans chapter 12 when they haven't been written yet. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Within this secular system, Daniel ends up being promoted. And he simply is promoted because he has character. He has a backbone. And Nebuchadnezzar is impressed that he seems to live what he believes. Now, the experience of this, as I wrap up this proposal, is that Daniel now has grasped the significance of purity. He, if I quote from chapter, uh, the text in verse 1, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not be defiled. Do you get it? It's so amazing that in his life you can see the importance of purity. That's why I have these soaps up here. I was going to use the fancy soap that I got when I was over in the Dead Sea area, but it's called mud soap. It doesn't really do the right thing. This is where they get all the minerals together and they put it over your body to purge yourself from stuff as it dries and hardens. Uh, no, I just ended up bringing one of these other soaps, you know, that it's 100% pure. Uh, technically, it's never. On the front of the bulletin, you can see the picture uh, of the ivory soap, that it's 99.9% .9 pure. You know, 
We don't have the ability to make everything 100% pure. But Daniel had committed himself to be pure. Somehow or other in his life, I believe that God was showing him the importance of a life that matches up with your, with your beliefs. The book of James, chapter 2 and 3, but if you go to chapter 2, you're going to find that there's a, a passage there after he's explaining about the troubles and trials in chapter 1 and about how God is the giver of every perf perfect gift. He gets into chapter 2 and he says, don't you know that faith without works is... That's a little bit hard for those of us that are Reformed to say that because we want to go with Paul and say uh, faith is faith alone. Now, these are not in contradiction because what's going on is that James, who is one of the first writers of the New Testament, ends up looking at the people of God and he says, look, you need to be undefiled. You need to have a life that matches your beliefs. And so he says, if you have faith and you don't show it, then you really don't have faith because people would know it. Faith without corresponding works, without the corresponding character, is not faith at all. It's pretend. It's religion. And that's why James ends up bringing a lot of it, whether he gives an illustration about the tongue or about a ship or about other things. He says there ought to be a matching up that what you believe with what you feel and translates into what you do. Daniel experienced this. He began to see that the battle is not of ideas, but it is one of, of the actions that arise out of those ideas. He believes, and if I go to Proverbs 22, 6, this is why I have great faith that somebody taught him when he was young. In Proverbs, he says, train up a child when he is young. I don't want you to keep them away from church. Bring them. I'd even love for them to be in the sanctuary where they can meet with God together with their parents and, and discuss and digest all these things. When you look at the text of Scripture, Proverbs 22, Solomon said it right, and that was only a few years earlier than Daniel. Train them, train them, show them the way when they get old, they'll know that it's wrong to be defiled. It's wrong to buy into the earth system, to the secular ways. He therefore experiences God's protection, God's provision, and God's personal care. It's pretty amazing that Daniel, because now that he has taken this stand, and he's got the, 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 the eyes of everybody watching him to see if he'll be a hypocrite, he ends up blooming where he's been planted. He is given a foundation that, one will, that, will, that will help to fix what is already broken. That there will be a Christ that will, that will come. A Messiah who will usher in a new citizenry. And in chapter 2, we read a little bit about that at the end. Where there was a stone. Not made with hands. That's coming from somewhere in the universe. Or I should say, it's coming from heaven. And it's coming to this earth to come and crash down. Taking down the kingdoms of this world. Whether it be Babylon, whether it be Mede and Persian, whether it be the, the, the Greco-Roman, whether it be a European, some kind of union, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ is going to continue. And he shall reign forever and ever, as Isaiah says. Now, the last point is the exciting one for me as a pastor. A righteous defilement. A righteous defilement. I've just spent all this time to explain to you that Daniel did not want to be defiled. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? That there's actually a defilement that is necessary? And the answer is yes. 
If we go into chapter 9 of Daniel, you're going to find that there is some, some words that are given in chapter 9, verse 2. As he's reading the Bible, and this is where we looked at last week. Uh, in the first year, I think we have that in, in Daniel 9, 2. In the first year, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years. And he's studying and he's looking back over Jeremiah's words. And I don't know about you, but uh, Jeremiah just didn't tell us the good news that after 70 years there was going to be grace that they would come back. If you go back to Jeremiah 44, 22, Jeremiah 40, 40, 22 says, so that the Lord could no longer bear because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you have committed. Therefore is your land a desolation and an astonishment and a curse and without an inhabitant as it is this day. That's the preacher man talking about the people of God and their inhabitants in the land of Israel. And then coming to Judah. He was the preacher that lamented. He, he did not enjoy the people of God living a secular life. And that's why Daniel is picking up on this. He's been trained as a young man. And now he's beginning to understand what Jeremiah was saying. Hey, you all deserve this. You get the wrath of God because it's poured out on unrighteousness. And you're full of unrighteousness. In Romans 1, he explains it to all the people in the world, whether they be Jew or Greek or whether they be sexually uh, liberty, you know, where they can do whatever they want or whether they're, they're thinking that they're overly religious. I mean, if you go through chapters 1, 2, and 3, you find all these people that have tried their own thing and they all are unrighteous. There's none good with them, no, not one. And Daniel, he's fully aware that the people of God, even back in Jerusalem, they have been exiled. In other words, portions of them have been taken to Babylon with him. The ones that have been left behind, none of them are repenting. None of them are getting on their knees before God and say, God, have mercy on us. Please forgive me. They're not practicing John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what we find here in this passage is Daniel understood the consequences of sin. People deserve the wrath of God. See if you can finish this verse from Romans. For the wages of sin is... You know that if you're a sinner, you'll surely die. That if you get what you deserve, you shall, you'll get separation from God, which is the second death, which is you're separated from His grace. Daniel confessed these sins... And in chapter 9, we find him pleading with God to keep his word and to have grace for his fellow brothers and, and relatives that they would be able to go back and fill up the land again. He was looking for something better. Just like Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God, we know that, that Daniel was looking for the king of Israel to be on the throne. And he didn't know how it was going to happen unless things would go back. Daniel saw the grace of God for 70 years of captivity. But Daniel saw the futility of the people, how they, they didn't trust God even after the seven decades had passed. He solicits God's grace to forgive and to keep his plan, even though his countrymen are so depraved. In order for this to happen, there had to be a righteous defilement. A righteous defilement. Now I'll explain. You see, I've been talking about us living a pure life. If I go and I can show the verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, there is a challenge for believers to not 
repeat the bad sins. If you do 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you end up seeing that he lists all these things that their forefathers did in the wilderness. And he says, these are our examples for us and what not to do. And if I took you to, I believe it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. He says, therefore, beloved brother, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in Christ without spot or blemish and to be at peace. I really want you to know that it is so beautiful to be able to say, hey, let's be righteous. But you'd miss the gospel. You'd be no different from some of these other religions out there. And they, they are even popular. If you just do this and do this and do this, and especially at Christmas time, make big offerings, then you will be able to go to heaven. Please never get mixed up with that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works lest anyone would boast. But then the good works, the righteousness, the blemished, unblemished life, is we are God's workmanship. This is the next verse, verse 10 of, of chapter 2 of Ephesians. For we are God's workmanship. God's working on us. He's perfecting in us what he started, Philippians 1.7. He is going to make us, if I can find my soap again. He is going to make us fit for heaven to live with him there. And we know it's going to have to have a great transformation from 1 Corinthians 15 when our sinful, condemned nature is going to be transformed and we get a new body and we'll go to glory. But we will never get there because we've done it. It's not by works of righteousness that you have done. It's according to his mercy that he saved us. The righteous defilement is that Jesus took on our defilement. You hear Daniel saying, no, I won't be defiled. Jesus says, I won't be defiled either unless I do it in love. Let me explain how Jesus did this. If you go to Matthew chapter 4, you're going to find that he was enduring all kinds of temptation. In Matthew 4, you have those great times when Satan shows up and he tempts him with a loaf of bread and he tempts him with this and he takes him to the pinnacle of the, of the mountain, uh, excuse me, of the temple mount and he says, you can have it all, just worship me. And the text says, don't tempt me. And he says, I will do my father's bidding as it is written. And you find that Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Yes, he was tempted even with pornography and all those other kinds of things that we in our culture seem to revel in. But he was without sin. If I would take you to Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 15, you see it how the author of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted. But he did not yield. You see... When I tell you that righteous defilement is that he has to first be righteous. And Jesus is the only one born of men whereby we can be saved. And he did not get born son of Joseph. He was the son of God. And the angels made clear to that. And Mary knew it. That which was in her was not from an earthly father. He was deity from the beginning. Now... How did the, the righteous one get defiled? Well, the Bible uses many different illustrations. In John 3, you might be familiar with the most because of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, God initiated this. But why did Jesus have to come to this world? He didn't come to live an easy life. He came to die. 
When his first advent, it was in humiliation, not in exaltation. He came and humbled himself. Philippians 2 explains it so well. He, he, was not, he, he is equal with God, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a man and, be, and being found in fashion of a man, being born of a woman. He endured this life, yet without sin. But the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. When you think through that, that is first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew absolutely zero sin, zero defilement, that we, that we, might be able to have what we needed. You remember the shepherds with the green candle? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And the way that Jesus was going to save us was by going to that cruel cross and become sin for us. He bore in his body our consequences. Isaiah 53 says it well, but let me take you to Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. As I wrap up this message, do you get it? Do you get it? John the baptizer, when he saw Jesus at the age of 30, in John chapter 1, verse 29, said it so well. Behold, the advent. He doesn't say the word advent. Behold, the coming of the Christ. And instead of using those words, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And in saying this, he's saying, this is the one without blemish. The Lamb of God, the, who was on the day of atonement, was going to take away the sin of this world. I ask you three questions. Three simple questions. Are you defiled? Are you? If you were living in Daniel's day and you've been ex exported over to a new place and you're in an uncomfortable zone, maybe this is true for, for, for kids that have left the nest and they're now at college. I've got two of them away at Liberty. Have you resolved not to be defiled? Have you resolved to not be like the world? I pray that everyone in this room has rejected, has simply said, no, I'm not going to do what the world bids me do. Second question is, if I was to evaluate you right now, would you be 10 times better than what the world has to offer? Oh, pastor, now you're judging me. No, we're not supposed to judge one another. I'm not one to judge you. I'm asking you. When you look around in this world, are you trusting the Lord? Is it obvious to other people that you're trusting the Lord? Even Nebuchadnezzar, the great potentate, looked at little Daniel and said, wow, there's something about you and your faith. The last question is the most important. Are you able to discern the mystery of God's grace? You see, the righteous defilement is what you have to get. You have to be able to understand that all these beautiful Christmas carols that we sing, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. It's beautiful. 
it doesn't stop there. This beautiful Lord Jesus, the land that was wrapped in swaddling clothes, was the Lamb of God who had to go to the cross for you. Do you understand the grace that while you were yet dead in sins and trespasses, Christ came and died for us to be the propitiation for our sins, to actually take on the defilement of our sin and to receive the full wrath of a holy God so that you could be forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus,